Do you solemnly swear that you will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that you will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that you would take this obligation freely, without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, and that you will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office on which you are about to enter, so help you God. Congratulations. You're now members of the 114th Congress. Freddie Gray just won in a string of recent cases highlighting racial tensions and police violence. In just a few hours, Democratic congressman and ranking minority member House Judiciary Committee John Conyers will introduce legislation aimed at ending racial profiling. He joins me now. Congressman, thank you for joining me, sir. What a pleasure. Thanks so much. A pleasure for me, too. Could you explain what's in your legislation? Uh, well, what we're trying to do here is, for the first time, federally criminalize racial profiling. Uh, and we mandate retraining of officers, and we begin data collection on this subject of racial profiling uh, by police in the, uh, for the first time. And then uh, we collect data and we give uh, grants for good police practices. That's essentially what the bill's about. Do, do you think what happened in Baltimore, sir, was the result of racial profiling? Uh, I suspect that it probably was. And, and uh, I ask you that I ask you that difficult question because the neighborhood was largely African American. It has a crime problem, and some people say, isn't it possible, even if Mr. Gray were white, that this could have happened? Yeah, uh, and you know we're getting back to the the, the message: all lives matter. And what has happened in uh, predominantly predominantly African-American communities is that uh, uh, police practices and racial profiling has become uh, a thing that's been going on for decades now. And so uh, I started introducing uh, a bill to prevent racial profiling back in 2001 and have been introducing it in the Congress ever since. Now. With these eight lives uh, that have been uh, taken, uh, we, we've got a, a new a look at it, a new approach, a new attorney general, and so uh, things are moving uh, far more rapidly than in the past. Well, well, let me ask you. Let me ask you the question this way: um, the Justice Department, you know, it investigated several of these cases, right? And it ruled out civil rights violations in two controversial cases. Um, for example, in February of 2015, the Justice Department said it would not file civil rights charges against George Zimmerman in the Trayvon Martin case. In the Michael Brown case, federal authorities declined to prosecute Officer Darren Wilson. Would your bill do anything to make it? easier for the Justice Department to file civil rights charges in such cases? Well, I, I think that uh, by making this a federal crime, it changes it, uh, the, the approach, uh, quite a bit. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen of America. This is AJC Radio, Spotlight on Capitol Hill, and tonight we come forward with a man who needs no introduction.
However, to keep it proper, we will have to give an introduction. You can call him what you want. He is known as the Dean of the House. His name is Congressman John Conyers, and tonight we take a trip to our nation's capital to recognize the Dean, the legend who's making a difference. They call him the Dean of the House, Congressman John Conyers. Folks, hang on to your seatbelts. We're getting ready to take off on AJC Radio. Spotlight on Capitol Hill is next. Stand by. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome in to our program tonight. Uh, we are happy to be here. I'm Lamont Banks along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, and William Williams. And, folks, I'll tell you right now, this is a humdinger tonight. We have the privilege, the honor, of recognizing a great man on Capitol Hill who is making some differences along the way. In the clip you heard tonight, he was addressing issues, making it a felony crime to racially profile uh, individuals and to the issues that have faced this nation. Tonight, we are going to get some answers from the dean of the house, and you don't want to miss that. So hang in there, folks. Uh, and Lisa, if you will, read uh, the disclaimer for our folks tonight, please. Sure. We want to remind everyone that we are not attorneys and that a just cause does not provide any legal advice. You want to contact your personal legal advisor for all of your legal needs. Also, the opinions expressed by callers and guests do not necessarily reflect that of a just cause or AJC radio. And as always, we want to thank you for choosing to tune in and spend a little time with us this evening. And thank you for that, Lisa, and we appreciate uh, that. And uh, uh, we've had an opportunity to talk a little bit about uh, Congressman Conyers. Lisa, you and I and I, uh, my uh, esteemed colleague, Lisa, uh, joy to be with and uh, sat down with uh, the congressman uh, at our nation's capital. Lisa, uh, what an experience for you and I uh, on that day talking to Congressman Conyers. Your thoughts on that for the folks? Yeah, I think it was it was an, it was a definitely a mind blowing experience going walking through the Capitol building and the, all seeing all the all the different faces that you recognize from the contacts that we've made and the people that we've met. I mean, the the congressmen and the senators that were everywhere. Everywhere. Was, I mean, it was just. I mean, that was an experience you won't soon forget. Walking through those halls and seeing. All those people with all the things that were going on, it was just, it was, it was awesome. It was absolutely awesome. And I'll tell you what, folks, AJC Radio is just getting started. Uh, we will continue to march uh, and to uh, get on the steps of Capitol Hill, walk the halls of Capitol Hill as we are in search for justice. And that is the purpose for uh, us being there, Lisa. And tonight's going to be a good one. Uh, and Congressman Conyers was very gracious. Uh, his staff, uh, Stephanie and the folks up there, Lisa, very, very good to us. Yes, we appreciate they were, that. They were great people. Okay, and uh, folks, tonight as we uh, welcome you tonight, uh, we want to take a moment tonight. I got a phone call today uh, in regards to uh, a show we aired on this program regarding Michael McDonald. Um, I'll tell you, not excuse me, not Michael McDonald, uh, Michael Anderson, Anderson, excuse me, and my apologies for that. Uh, and uh, there was an issue uh, with Michael, uh, who had a sudden passing away, if you will, but we contend was murdered uh, at the Florence uh, camp here in uh, Florence, Colorado. Uh, and I got a call from the mother uh, uh, today uh, as she is uh, remembering Michael is at the four-month anniversary of his death. Um, and we uh, told her we would give her an opportunity as she seeks for justice and help uh, to, to come her way. Uh, I told her we would be more than happy to do that. So for the next 10, 15 minutes or so, uh, we're going to give her an opportunity. Also, uh, Mike Anderson's father uh, is going to be uh, joining us as well. Uh, just at the top of this show, as as we, out of respect, um, 
uh, take a moment to remember Michael Anderson and out of respect for uh, his mother and his father. Uh, one moment, please. And as we uh, uh, get ready to get these folks online, apparently they are uh, actually in queue. We're going to bring them on here momentarily, and we appreciate it. And I think it's important, William, as we think about Michael Anderson, the things that went on with him, uh, the, the, the tragedy, all the stuff that went down, it is important that we educate America on those issues. Yes, that is true. Okay. Clef? Yes, we have uh, the mom of Mike Anderson. It's Billy Anderson and uh, <clears throat> Mike Anderson's father, uh, Terry. We appreciate you guys joining us. I understand, ladies and gentlemen of America, the sudden death of her son, uh, who was uh, actually on a two-year sentence in a camp here in Colorado. He had two years left, rather. Uh, had every reason to want to come home. He had shared with Billy, shared with his father. He was looking forward to getting a job, getting on his feet, doing the things uh, that he needed to do to go forward with his life. Uh, I'll tell you what right now, ladies and gentlemen, that, is, that does not sound like a person who is going to uh, suddenly take his life. And, Billy, according to all accounts that you gave us, uh, you had went to see him. There were no bruises on him. There was no cuts on him. Uh, but at the time that you were able to see the body, uh, he had a busted lip. It looked like there was some type of confrontation of some sort, uh, which should definitely be of record. And the prison, ladies and gentlemen of America, still has not given her any information uh, on her son's death. And that's just unacceptable. We asked tonight, if you have an opportunity, please, if you're out there listening tonight, ladies and gentlemen, if you're an attorney, if you are an advocate, if you are looking to fight for people who need help, as we come together to fight this fight of injustice, uh, we ask you to give Billy a call. You can also contact uh, AJC. You can go to AJCRadio.com, uh, as well as the Just Calls, um, and, and, and get a hold of us. Uh, you can reach her directly. Folks, this is serious business. It could be your, your loved one uh, that's behind bars that suffers an injustice of this level. And the injustice in this case does not get any more tragic and horrific than taking of a life. And I can, you can say what you want, folks. Uh, if it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, then that's exactly what it is. There are too many questionable things here uh, that doesn't make add up or doesn't make any sense. Why this man's life was snuffed out almost immediately waiting. Uh, I believe he had been newly married, Billy, if, 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 I'm, if I'm correct on that, or his wife was excited about coming up to see him the following day, uh, which was, I believe, Memorial Day. Uh, and uh, these, no, excuse me, it was Labor Day, because Labor's in September yeah. May. Uh, and uh, she was coming up to see him, and, and it, it's just it's very, very unfortunate. Uh, Michael Anderson, 44 years old, uh, was born uh, in the Cheyenne area, um, and uh, he was a carpenter, built many houses. Uh, this man did some things, and he had some visions of a better tomorrow. The problem, ladies and gentlemen, is that injustice has a way of touching the lives of a lot of people in a very negative way. Uh, our thoughts, Billy, of AJC Radio, our families, the team here, uh, and I'm sure uh, our listeners, uh, our prayers and thoughts are with you and Terry always in regards to this loss that you have, have, have had to deal with. Uh, we will continue to try to seek justice in the death of your son, and uh, we have no problem. I told you before when we first met you and talked with you that you have a family here at AJC Radio. Uh, we meant that. Uh, and I appreciate you make, get, make, you know giving me a call today, and uh, you, we're, you're never a bother to us, so don't ever hesitate to call us. We will do whatever is necessary. We will post something on our website. Anybody that can help uh, Michael Anderson uh, uh, as far as Billy, 
uh, and Terry uh, regarding the death of Michael Anderson, please, and we'll put your number if you're okay with that, Billy, uh, that they can call yeah. you. Whatever we can do to lend a hand to bring justice, uh, that's what we'll do. Terry, is there something you wanted to say? We got the coroner's report. Uh, it's been a couple, three weeks ago, and after reading that, I just don't believe it was a suicide at all. Uh, I guess <clears throat> my my problem that keeps me awake at night is <clears throat> if someone dies outside of a prison, there is a open investigation. People get interviewed, uh, the crime scene gets inspected, and so on. Uh, somebody's looking for justice there. If someone dies inside these prison walls, you're out of luck, you know. Uh, they, throw, they throw their walls up. Uh, <clears throat> talking to the coroner, which is one of the few guys uh, I believe was, was interested in looking out for the deceased, they wouldn't let him to the crime scene where he supposedly hung himself. They wouldn't produce a ligature that he hung himself with. Uh, couldn't talk to anybody that might be of help. Uh, and, <clears throat> you know, there's people inside that prison that knows exactly what happened there. No access. And, you know, for a, the common person like his parents or family, zero access. They don't even answer the phone. I guess my question is, who in the world are providing providing oversight for these halfwits that are running these places and doing these sort of things? You know, where is the oversight? Sure, and I'll you tell know? you what. You go, and Terry, I'll tell you what to interject to your point. Uh, the oversight is supposed to be the Bureau of Prisons in Washington D.C. Well, and yeah. you know what? They're failing at that all over the place because they've been contacted about issues on a consistent basis. And I believe uh, we did send information uh, to the Bureau of Prisons in regards to the beha- to this action, the questionable yeah. uh, death that happened. And the problem is when you have a problem at the top, look at what you yeah. got. And that's well, where we – go ahead, Terry. I'm sorry. Well, is, is there anyone in the Congress that oversights of – uh, you know, oversees the Bureau of Prisons, or are they just immune to oversight? I don't know. This is what That's I what will it looks do. Like. This is what <laughs> I'll do. There is, there's a lady, uh, Congressman uh, Sheila Jackson Lee, uh, who actually is on the uh, the oversight uh, uh, issues dealing with prisons and things along those lines. Uh, I would recommend yeah. that you send a letter to her, uh, to her staff there. A phone call to her staff there, uh, and if you need that information, I'll be more than happy to give that to you uh, offline here, uh, and we will contact you uh, uh, shortly, and, and we can get that to Billy. Uh, give her give her office a call and say, look, we got an issue. We believe someone yeah. died uh, at the prison in Florence, Colorado. Uh, our understanding is that she uh, is is a woman that is a woman of action. Give her a call in her office. To call in Washington D.C. That's Congressman Sheila Jackson Lee, uh, and she is part of the Judiciary Committee there in Congress. Uh, and and you know what? That's what we. That's all we can do is reach out to the judiciary. They are oversight. Uh, Lisa, I believe when we went there uh, on our last trip, we were very much educated on the oversight. Yeah. The Judiciary Committee is there to administer. Yeah. Right. Uh, not only of the courts, 
but of the administration. Yes, they are. And, and prisons. So uh, we'll we'll do our part, uh, Terry and Billy, and in, in, in uh, getting that information to them again. Uh, I'll be more than happy for the press release that we did. Uh, but we will definitely get that information to you. So we're going to do everything we can. The bottom line is, folks, the system is set up to keep us from fighting. The system is set up to say, well, no, we're not getting answers anywhere. Maybe they'll just eventually give up. Well, change must happen that way. And I know it's not easy, and fighting a war is never easy, but you have to keep putting your boots on every morning and saying, I'm going out to fight another day. Uh, we will join you in that fight. Uh, and any listeners out there that has a son, a brother, a father, uh, you need to get involved because this could be you if change does not happen in this country. If something doesn't happen in our prison system to regulate and to get the human side of what is supposed to be the prison system of America, we'll continue to fill body bags without explanation or without, or without reason. Uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, and, uh, Billy, give the folks your phone number one more time, if you can, please. Okay. It's 307-630-7983. Okay, and I'm going to say that again for her, 307-630-7983. That is the mother of Michael Anderson, who we believe was murdered at a federal prison in this country. Uh Call Billy today if there's any way you can help, if you have legal services, if you have advocacy groups, if you're out there listening tonight. Uh, this is a mother and a father who is racked with pain. We ask you to reach out as a human being and help. And Billy and Terry, thank you so much for calling in tonight. Uh, we will be in touch. Uh, we will do everything on our end to do what we need to do uh, to bring about change. Thank you, Mom. Yeah, thanks. Okay. You're very welcome. Bye-bye. God bless. Well, folks, there you have it. Cliff, uh, Lisa, William, what do you say to that? Um, these people are hurting. When you're counting the anniversary to the month, there's a lot of pain there. And we have to get involved because we can't turn a blind eye and say, well, it doesn't really matter. It's not my mom, my brother, my sister, whatever. This is an American. She's uh, part of the American family. But he's somebody's son, somebody's father, somebody's brother, lost their life at the age of 44. Michael Anderson, rest in peace. We're coming right back as we begin tonight's spotlight on Capitol Hill. The dean of the house, Congressman Conyers. We'll be right back. Do you have a big brother? Well, I have a big brother, and I'm pretty sure that you and I experience some of the same things with a big brother. Big brothers will always be big brothers, right? I'm sure you'll agree. Well, my brother gets up in the morning. He takes a shower, heads to work, and at some point during the day, he's going to exercise and get that workout, as we all do. And, of course, depending on what's going on, he's going to sit down for two or three meals during the course of his day. And also, depending on what else is going on, he'll probably get caught up on current events and maybe take a few moments to turn a page in a book. 
How about your big brother? Some of the same stuff, right? Oh, did I mention that my big brother does all of that stuff? But he actually has to have permission a lot of times before he can do it. You see, my big brother was wrongfully convicted of a crime that he did not commit. That's right. That may sound shocking, huh? He's in prison. Wrongful convictions impact families in ways you cannot begin to imagine. But I've decided that I'm going to do something about it. And I extend an invitation to you to come on board and join me in this fight. You see, I'm helping to be a voice for my big brother and others who have been wrongfully convicted. We'd like you to take a few moments today and call a just cause where we fight for justice. You can call us toll free at 1-855-529-4252. That's 1-855-529-4252. Join with us as we fight for justice and for all big brothers across the land. Ladies and gentlemen, if you hear that music playing, it says something about America. Uh, And tonight we are on the steps of the nation's capital. Uh, Not literally, but in every way in this studio, uh, we take a moment tonight to visit a legend. They call him the Dean. William, you went to college, right? Is that correct? Uh, The Dean is someone you really didn't want to mess with or have to be in his office. Is that right? That is correct. Uh, Well, I'll tell you you this, folks. Congressman Conyers, John Conyers, uh, you're talking about a legend on the Capitol Hill that's making some differences, not only of yesterday, but of right now and the issues that face America. And I'll tell you what, Lisa, as I yield to you again on this conversation uh, in Washington, D.C., on our trip there, uh, what a privilege Yes, uh, that yes. uh, to sit down with Congressman Conyers, uh, very gracious to us. Uh, we're sitting out in his office in the little sitting area. Uh, he persisted 
for us to come and sit at his table in his office. Yes, uh and I'm telling you he had his Sunday best on, was dapper as, as <laughs> usual. And uh man, what a what a great and gentle man that's very doing some much things. So. Yes, he was a very very soft spoken man, but very a very strong man, very very much I mean he was very to the point he, you could tell the man has been working for years. He's been fighting, he's been doing his job and he's been and you can tell that he's 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 been working. He's not just been sitting behind a desk, he's been working. And he's still diligently working. And he, when, even when he walked in, he's going over uh, things for a speech that he's about to give. And he's, he's always working and taking the time out to say, you know what, I just want to meet you guys. I just want to talk to Absolutely. you. Absolutely. It was just, he was just a very, he reminded me of my, of, my, of my great uncle. He was just such a soft-spoken, gentle man. He was just, it was just an honor to be able to be in his presence. Well, make no mistake about it, folks. You may go on a safari in Africa and may look at a lion that seems as peaceful and pleasant and nice as he can be. But make no mistake about it, you better be careful how you walk uh, in a safari, no matter how gentle that lion may look. And Congressman Conyers, again, very soft-spoken, but he's a man of action. And it's kind of one of, the, one of those things, William, that if you know, you know that you know. I don't have to make a lot of noise about it. I don't have to, you know, when we used to play basketball in the younger years of my life, uh, you know, you go to the basketball court, you got the guy over in the corner talking all the smack. He's going to duck on you. He's going to do this, that. You know what, but he couldn't back it up. Right, right. But right. the guy that was quiet in the corner, just quietly lacing up his tennis shoes and, you know. Getting ready to go to work. That's the man you better worry about. That's right. Congressman Conyers gives me that feeling that you better be careful to know about who you're dealing with. And, William, you've got an opportunity to uh, review uh, about Congressman Conyers. Your thoughts on the man, the dean of Capitol Hill? Uh, you know, really, looking at this man, I mean, this is a long history of fighting for those that elected him into office, you know, so his constituents around the, the Detroit area, but also on a on a national level. So he was really, really pushing a lot of policy. He was really fighting for those and be and, and really being a champion, a voice, uh, definitely for the African-American community. He was there. Um, and so there's a lot here. This man is someone who he's not going to sit down. I mean, he he's he's the longest tenured congressman absolutely and and so when you to be to be the dean he's the longest serving member he's not getting ready to take a back seat he's not getting ready to and he's he's there ready to pick up the flag and champion an issue and that and, and that's what you need in congress folks and as we said before spotlight on capitol hill you will on only on ajc radio out of all the media outlets in the country you will not find what we do in honoring and showing the respect that we show to members of Congress that our uh, fellow Americans have gone to the polls and voted for. Absolutely. It's to say not only to Congressman Conyers, we appreciate what you're doing, but thank you voters for going out and voting for this man. It took some courage to do that. Yes, it did. And, uh, you know, in an age when people kind of sit back and say, I'll let somebody else handle it, uh, my hat's off to the, to the people of Detroit. Uh, who voted for Congressman Conyers. You got it right, definitely. And uh, Congressman Conyers has had some leadership in Congress. From 1989 to 2004, Congressman Conyers served as chair of the Committee on Government Operations, now the Committee on Oversight and Government Reform. Uh, in 2006, Congressman Conyers was elected by his congressional colleagues to lead as chairman of the Pivotal House Committee on the Judiciary in the 110th and 111th Congress. The Judiciary Committee oversees the Department of Justice, FBI, and federal courts. Additionally, the committee has jurisdiction over copyright, 
civil rights, liberties, consumer protection, constitutional issues. Congressman Conyers was also a member of the Judiciary Committee in his 1974 hearings on the Watergate impeachment scandal and played a prominent role during President Clinton's impeachment process, giving him the distinction as the only Judiciary Committee member to have served on both panels. Currently, he serves as the ranking member of the Judiciary Committee. Uh, if that's not a resume that has a lot to, that lot to uh, speak to, then I don't know what is. I mean, this, these are things that affect our everyday lives here in America on a consistent basis. And uh, so that's very important. Uh, without further ado, uh, let's go to the interview uh, that we had uh, with Congressman Conyers uh, in Washington, D.C. And, folks, it was a humdinger. Uh, we were kind of in an in a area where other people were, so uh, bear with us. But uh, the interview is clear, and we want to give you an opportunity to hear what the congressman had to say. Let's see what he had to say. We're ready. Uh, okay. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Lamont Banks here with AJC Radio. Spotlight on Capitol Hill, and we do have the privilege of coming from our nation's capital with the Honorable uh, Congressman Conyers, uh, who they call the Dean, the pioneer, the legend, if you will, of Capitol Hill. And uh, Congressman, it's a pleasure to be here with you today. Well, I'm honored to be the longest-serving member in the House of Representatives. I still love my work. Absolutely. And uh, folks, I'll tell you, he hasn't missed a step. Uh, we've had the opportunity to sit with him, and, and uh, we've had to take a trip all the way to the nation. Is this the Capitol building? Uh, so, uh, uh, and, and I'll tell you, Congressman Tony looks very dapper. Has got his Sunday best on, and uh, <laughs> we're, we're, we're doing well with that. So we, again, we appreciate the opportunity, Congressman, to uh, talk with us. Uh, we've talked before in regards to Spotlight on Capitol Hill. The purpose of that uh, is to shine a light in a very positive way on members of Congress, our elected officials in this country, that people, for whatever reason, perception-wise, are not being, what I believe, perceived fairly. Uh, so we felt it necessary to initiate this initiative to shine the light in a positive way, two hours, really, to give an opportunity for you, uh, for the American people to know that, that Congressman Conyers uh, is doing something, he has done things and has made th uh, things and decisions uh, that impact this nation. And not only his district uh, of Detroit, but also uh, the United States, and we appreciate that. A couple of questions, Congressman, as we go forward with that. Uh, you were talking about your tenure in Congress uh, being uh, known as the Dean of the House, also the Congressional Black Caucus, and a long member of the House Judiciary Committee. When you look back on your accomplishments, the things that you have you know, uh, set out to do, how effective have you been? We know we, what we've seen, you've been very effective, but how does the, how does the field keep going? How does the passion remain? Well, because I'm doing the kind of work that when you succeed, and it's not all easy or 100%, but when you succeed, you realize you're doing something more than for just one person or a constituent, that you're passing a federal law that applies to every single person in the country. And that, that buoys me up. That gives me the get up and go that I need to keep continuing and result in me liking my job as a legislator. Absolutely. And I get an opportunity to frequently talk with people about new legal ideas 
when I had my daughter. Sure. And uh, it's, it's uh, something that keeps you going. No, absolutely, and uh, and that's that's to be respected. Uh, we do show that uh, you've done work on civil rights legislation. Oh yeah. Uh, and that's very seems to be very very important, very very important to you. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. I understand you've had an opportunity to work really in a bipartisan way, uh, and with Congressman Sensenbrenner. Oh yeah. And uh, we have the privilege of having him on our show and mm-hmm. sharing his ideas. He has a very, from what I gather from him, a very high affection uh, towards you. Very great deal of respect for you. Give us a little bit about the F, uh, the VRAA bill, and uh, what's what's going on with that. As you work with Congressman Sensenbrenner. Well, he and I are co-sponsors of the Voting Rights Act. And the Voting Rights Act is a bill that's intended to make voting even easier and less difficult for many people who are caught up in state laws that actually make it more complicated to vote. Oh, absolutely. Uh, We have uh, registration requirements uh, that are onerous. Uh, we have a, a rule in some states, and each state can think of all the little things that they want to frustrate the vote. But the end result is that there are two schools of thought. One is to make voting as difficult as possible, and our school of thought is to make voting as easy as possible. Sure. And it's, it's amazing to think that there are still people who uh, are still not ready to accept the fact that in a democracy, everybody's vote counts. Absolutely. Right. As a matter of fact, if you don't vote, you're discriminating against yourself. No, absolutely. And so what we're doing is trying to make sure that everybody realizes that now that we're battling for the vote for everybody, everybody's got to use it. Absolutely. Or else uh, we're we're just twiddling our thumbs, so to speak. No, no, absolutely. And and Congressman, that's, that's very, very important. It's important as we face an election. We are at the brink, if you will, of decisions uh, facing a nation. We got Congress, uh, I mean, seats coming up in the Senate, the House, also the election of a new president. Uh, these these uh, acts and, and information that you're, or, or works, if you will, that you're doing as far as the Voter uh, uh, Rights Act is very, very important because we are at a point where, again, it's time to vote in this country and, and puts us in the direction where we have to go. In addition to that, this election is very important because we're at a crossroads. We're either going to continue to improve on the accessibility of the right to vote to everybody, or we're going to, the alternative is that it will get more difficult and, and we will actually retrograde. We'll go backwards. And that's the, the thing that. Uh, makes the coming election so important because there are these two very specific schools of thought and we want to make sure that everybody appreciates the fact that they count, their vote does matter. And we're dealing with an old bugaboo 
prodded us for a while. And that is that, well, one vote won't make much difference. Sure. If, I'll, I'll vote if it's convenient or if it doesn't rain. So what? Well, we know that that, that kind of attitude will not move us forward. And for you to be able to be in a country where you can express your views any way you want and then not take advantage of that privilege sure. is, is something that we have to combat. And frequently, uh, our young people are, are very prone to saying, well, I'll start voting when I get older. Sure. But it's important that you start voting right from the minute you're 18 years of age. That, that's the critical point for, where, for citizenship purposes, you become an adult. Oh, absolutely. And, and with that said, uh, you know, we push very strongly for people to get out and vote. And going to the, the future of criminal justice reform, uh, we see the relationships between law enforcement communities, poverty-stricken communities, uh, urban communities, predominantly uh, black communities. Question here, you're very, very in, in, in touch uh, with criminal justice reform. How important, when you look at the Eric Gardner's, you look at the Michael Browns, the Walter Scotts, how do we, as a, as a nation, deal with that? Because what I am finding through my research is that Criminal uh, uh, disparities, if you will, have not only been in re- in regards to sentence disparities as far as sentencing, which we, I know you're very, very uh, in touch with that. We now see racial disparities happening in courtrooms where judges who are appointed are racially uh, motivated and many times, based on the statistics, to give the African-American, Latino people the sentencing, going into your thoughts about the sentencing reform, how important is that, given the lack of trust, if you will, in our judicial system right now, with communities? Well, you know, we have now studies that actually demonstrate that there is a difference in the result and the, the, uh, the tendency to uh, appreciate uh, black voters as opposed to non-people of people of color. And what we what we keep finding out is that uh, that this discrimination uh, goes into the courtroom. It, it affects the judiciary itself, and that we've got. And quite a ways to go in terms of making sure that democracy exists for everyone in the judicial process. It's so important, and it's, it's been neglected for a long time. Sure. It hasn't been given its full credence, and that's why the sentencing reform is so important and criminal justice issues are so important. We, we started looking at the sentencing practices at some point. To our surprise, 
We find out that people of color coming before many courts get longer sentences for the same act. No, oh, absolutely. Than anybody else. And we're saying, wait a minute. We thought we were past that. Well, no, we're not. You <laughs> would think that we are. Definitely. It's still a problem. And Congressman Conyers, and, and we're not going to hold you too much longer, uh, we do have a poster child information, I'm going to leave with Stephanie to give you the review, that looks at the huge disparity. And not only, here's what's really critical, I think, and I want to get your thoughts on this. You have that when you're dealing with drug offenders, but we're seeing that in white collar crimes. With African Americans, you remember, uh, I believe Eric Holder made the statement that we have people in federal prison for no law enforcement reason. Falls under white collar crimes. But here's the key entrepreneurs who are African American, we've done the research, and I'm going to leave that information, Congressman, and I pray that you review that. But it goes to that you have a Caucasian group of individuals, white collar crime, that get sentenced to maybe, what, three years, two years, for billions of dollars of fraud, admittingly where there's fraud, millions of dollars, but then you have uh, first-time folks who may have been, really didn't commit a crime, but because of the disparities, they get seven to 11 years for a lesser crime. How do we address the white-collar issue in this country? Because we understand the big people in high positions you know, we, we tend to go after those folks, but how do we find that balance, Congressman, to, to make that fair? Well, you put your finger on a very important aspect of the criminal justice in America because uh, people who are more affluent are likely to be able to bring in legal talent that they would be able sure. to take on uh, the prosecutor and the law enforcement element who normally run roughshod over people of lower income status. Absolutely. And people of lower income status are people, are people of color. Sure. And so what, what we've begun to realize is that this fairness has to be applied across the board. It can't, it can't just be for uh, middle class uh, uh, people of greater means. Sure. And it's in that spirit that that we're trying to bring in fairness in the criminal justice system. There's so many ways uh, that uh, that people who are not familiar with the legal procedures can be put in a very disadvantageous yeah. situation because yeah. they just don't know what's happening. Because only later, after it's all over, they go on over. Hey, uh, right. that judge didn't treat me right. Uh, that jury was unfair to me. Yeah. If I knew what I, now what I should have known then, it may have been a different outcome. And so, uh, the legal complexities frequently make it harder for people of modest means to be able to uh, get justice in our system. Absolutely. And this last point, Congressman, uh, talks about the issue, uh, sentencing reform 
uh, in regards working with uh, Congressman Goodlatte in regards to the issue of mandatory minimums. Seems very important to you. Give us your thoughts on that. Well, first of all, I want to congratulate uh, Congressman Bob Goodlatte, who's the chairman of the Judiciary Committee. I'm the senior member of it, right. but he's got more conservative members on the committee and he becomes the chairman. And so what we found out that uh, he's beginning to open up and we look across the aisle and we work in a bipartisan measure right. looking at the, the issues and the subject matter rather than what party or whether you're progressive or conservative. And this is very refreshing. He and I have introduced uh, a criminal justice reform measure that is shocking because it will pick up our conservative members on his side and, of course, our members on our side will work together. So, so that's, that's an encouragement. But beyond that, uh, we've got to look at, at other aspects of, uh, of fairness, not only in the criminal justice area, but in the economic areas as well. Because uh, many times uh, companies or people of greater means can send their lobbyists into Washington to talk to the members. And you think something is going to be coming fairly, but they've been working quietly behind closed doors, and all of a sudden, uh, your su- supposed support has vanished. Wow. And you're at a serious uh, a disadvantage. And, and uh, uh, this is this is where experience comes in. You've got to be aware of these kinds of things that can happen which make things difficult uh, for justice to be done. But we get the kind of laws that apply fairly and across the board. Oh, absolutely, Congressman, and and well-spoken there. And uh, like I said, we're going to leave some information with you. We appreciate it. I'd, I'd like to. We'd like that. And any time, Congressman, AJC Radio opens the door to you uh, to any legislation, any things that are passionate to you, any follow-ups that you are interested in doing. Yes. This is Stephanie Byers. Yes. A great lady. She is a communications expert. And my attorney on the committee, Dan Herbert. Uh, and, and we work we work together closely yes. to, to try to make sure that we reach out to, to the people that we might not ordinarily be working with. Uh, sure. Sometimes it doesn't work, but every now and then people start again to rethink their Absolutely. position and things. Absolutely, and uh, we appreciate your service to the country, Congressman. Uh, it, it goes beyond saying, I, I tell you, if we had to do a spotlight on Capitol Hill, we'd probably have to do part one, two, three, and four because of your legacy. <laughs> uh, but we, we, we salute you for what you've done for this country, and 
Uh, we have learned a great deal on Spotlight on Capitol Hill. Our door is open to Stephanie, your staff. Uh, we will push any legislation. It's a phone call. It doesn't cost you nothing. Well, that's why I want to hear the business Sure. Because we want to create a relationship where you can get information from us and call either one of any yeah. of us up and get more detail uh, or get your questions answered. We appreciate let's, that. Yeah. Let's do it. We, we will start in next week. You're going to get some material from us. Okay. We, hey, <laughs> we gotta, bombard us with as much as you want, and uh, we will send an information yeah. when we're going to air this on our program, oh. and uh, it will be soon, and uh, we're excited for the country and our listeners, and they're excited. I mean, we got some good stuff going on, and we are honored that you took the time I'm to speak. Going, I'm, going to, uh, I'm going to put out a release to our friends whenever we know when it's going to air. So oh, yes. People can pick up on it. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And we will do this conversation uh, really quick. We will also release a press release to our organization. That'll be done uh, a couple of days prior to you uh, airing your program, and, and we'll it will go to, to the mass. And we do one too. That's, that's, and that's that information. I don't know who to give that to, oh. Congressman. That is critical for we, what we've done in research to your passion on fairness and equality. Uh, we appreciate uh, what the judiciary uh, members of Congress are doing. And uh, please review that at your leisure, maybe on the plane home or. Whatever's going on, that's some critical information we think that will have your interest. Be. No worries. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks again. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen of America. The Dean of the House, Congressman John Conyers. Uh, Lisa, as we talked earlier, um, the man has some vision for what he intends to do. Uh, and I'll tell you what, folks, uh, this is a band that's making a difference. Uh, yes, Lisa, your is. thoughts on the interview? I know you were live there uh, doing that interview. When you hear it again, uh, it gives another level of significance of the importance uh, of what he is doing and, and what we intend to continue in working with Congressman Conyers. Uh, as an organization, yeah, um, he, he, you know Lamont, he's very, uh, he's very passionate about what he's doing. He's very, uh, what he wants to do, what the things that he's been working towards. He's very, he's very strong and very passionate about those things, and he's very, he's very intent on getting done the, the things that he's trying to get done and the legislation that he's pushing. Even in his, his final year, he's pushing to get these final things done. Well, no, absolutely right. And uh, Mr. Conyers, fifty years plus in Congress. Uh, has accomplished uh, a few things. The Violence Against Women Act of 1994, the Motor Voter Bill of 1993, the Martin Luther King Holiday Act of 1983, the Alcohol Warning Label Act of 1988, and the Jazz Preservation Act of 1987. And he was also the driving force behind the Help America Vote Act of 2002. Lisa, we've had several trips to Washington, D.C., and as I think of Congressman Conyers tonight, and and you began to reflect on what he is doing. Washington D.C. folks, if you haven't been there, is a beautiful place. Uh, the breeze of the magnolia trees in the wind, the cherry trees that are along the road. 
give you a sense of purpose and a sense of relaxation, if you will, at our nation's capital. Tonight, we take a moment to pause and to reflect on the dean of the house. He's Congressman John Conyers, a legend, a humanitarian, and a man making a difference across this nation. We'll be right back as we continue Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday, honoring Congressman John Conyers. Stay with us. into the prison system. It was a completely bad experience, everything from the smell, sight, and the sound. And it laid the groundwork, I believe, for whatever criminal history I had after my experience with Swaffer. His experience has been a nightmare. Um, this is a young man that has really never fought in the street. He's had constant fights in the facility where he's at. He's been robbed from his belongings, his clothes. Uh, so it's a horrible experience for him as well as for his family. The campaign to close Spofford is a movement of community folks, activists, young people, parents, uh, who basically believe that uh, Spofford, which was supposed to be shut down 12 years ago when two new juvenile centers were opened, really needs to be closed this time around for good uh, and turned into something positive for the community. Well, I was horrified by the visit to Spofford today. Um, as I'm always horrified by visits to youth prisons, prisons are no places for children. It should be closed. Spofford should be closed. Um, Bridges, if it's now called that, should never be open again. It is no place for children. Uh, it costs 237000 for one bed uh, in these secure juvenile detention centers, and half the kids who go into them are readmitted uh, within one year. Um, so we know that uh, it's not working to lock kids up. Uh, the city uh, has finally uh, stated its intention to close Spofford down, um, and, and we're thrilled about that, we celebrate that. Uh, however, we're also concerned because we know that last time that it was shut down, it was reopened again in six months and used again uh, as a juvenile detention facility. I would love to see this turned into uh, some sort of multi-purpose, multi-service community center. The barbed wire, the gates, it's a prison. In a community where there's so many young people that could be serviced to this facility in a positive way. All our children are talented, beautiful, and skilled, and it's just giving them the resources that they need to help them. Kids don't deserve to be there. Most of the kids that be there, they'd be like kids who you could tell just be scared or doing stuff that fit in. Like, that's not an environment for that. For me, I think they should have more community centers or programs to help us out instead of trying to incarcerate us. All this is going to do is make us worse. Instead of putting our kids at risk all the time, let's put them at potential, give them the necessary tools and, and alternatives to incarceration that have proven to be more successful. It's time for the people that we elect to represent us to keep, keep their promises and tell the truth and close Swafford down for good.
wanted to take the time to speak directly to you, my friends, and those in Michigan and across the country about the reform of health care in America. We've been working on this for quite a number of years, and we have now a bill, not perfect, but an important step forward. I want to say to all the friends of mine that have worked on universal single-payer uh, that uh, I, I want to thank them for everything that they've done to help make this a better bill, including a strong public option so that we can have an alternative choice for millions of Americans that may want a, a different kind of health insurance. Now, what we do in this bill, and the reason I'm supporting it, is that it makes health insurance available to 96% of all of our citizens. 36 million more uninsured will be covered. Uh, it ends this awful thing called pre-existing conditions, which is the health insurance company's way of kicking persons out of health insurance, mainly around the, the diseases of cancer, diabetes, and heart disease. Uh, we also help our seniors by closing the infamous prescription drug donut hole. And then we prevent insurance companies from dropping you once you become ill. And uh, we allow everybody, even those that can't afford insurance, to be able to buy it through subsidies. We repeal, very importantly, the antitrust exemption for all health insurance companies in America, which has come out of my committee on the judiciary. And then we expand Medicaid uh, from 133% uh, of the federal poverty level to 150%. What this means is that 10, more, 10 million more people uh, can get health insurance. And we in Increased competition and consumer choice uh, with a strong public insurance option, and we're trying to keep the cost down. All of these things uh, make it a better way uh, for us to uh, fight for an even, uh, even more improvement. And I'm, I'm grateful to everybody that's worked in it, particularly uh, the chairman of the three committees, George Miller, uh, Henry Waxman, and uh, Charlie Wrangle. Uh, so we, we hope that everybody will follow us along. We'll get this bill out of the uh, House, but we've got a big job to do with our counterparty, uh, uh, the 20 the uh, United States Senate. Thank you so much, and uh, please write, call, blog, email us whenever you've got uh, a suggestion that we ought to know about. Well, there you have it, folks. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Spotlight on Capitol Hill. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, and William Williams. 
And tonight we take a moment as we reflect on the dean of the house. So what do you what does that mean, Lamont? What what are you saying? Congressman John Conyers. He is known as the dean of the hill. The man that is making a difference, the man the longest sitting member of Congress in our nation's capital. And he talks about there, he's talking about the health care, the benefits of health care, of the, what they call, they've named Obamacare, if you will, that is law in the land now that gives an opportunity for folks that couldn't have health care before. And he, he talks about William Cliff Lisa. He goes into the purpose of it. What, what, and you can hear when he's talking what it means to him. He said 10 million more Americans, in addition to the millions that have it, are given the opportunity now to go into a hospital, uh, a care center, and receive care. We're talking about life, death, sickness, health, the, li- the liberty of all Americans, what they want. They want to be healthy. And President Obama, along with things pushed by the judiciary and by, as he said, his, his team, th- this is about making a difference. Williams, your thoughts on that? Well, I think it's, uh, I mean, this is, this was monumental. I mean, we needed health care. We needed health care. Health care had gone out of control. You know, I mean, the cost of health care, you couldn't afford it. Even if you had health care insurance and something, you know, happened to you, how is it that you leave the hospital with a bill? You know, I mean, you've just gone through some kind of, you know, traumatic event, but you leave with a bill. And so there was just the skyrocketing cost of health care. Hospitals have become privatized. Uh, there's stake both in the insurance company and the hospitals to both, you know, both of them had stake in this. You know sure. what I'm saying? They're just raping and pillaging people uh, for for their insurance money. So now he's here comes this piece of legislation across, and it says, listen, those that have been – could not get – you know, could not get health insurance. Right. Those had pre-existing cases or, 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 or some pre-existing condition. condition. Right. Uh, thank you for the word. Uh-huh. They now can receive quality health, sure. quality health care as, as compared to something or someone just kind of glossing them over and not really caring about their situation, just trying to treat the symptoms and send them home. They could actually get treatment that they needed. Well, and I think the problem is uh, primarily is that uh, everything you find in America has become big business. Uh, this gives an opportunity, and I'll tell you right now, uh, for me personally, uh, and millions of others. I'm diabetic as a result of a wrongful conviction. Um, and I'm going to tell you something. When I go to a counter today and my copay is a dollar, you know what? I can walk out of there not thinking, well, am I going to eat or am I going to take my medicine because I don't have the funds to do it. All right. Millions of Americans face that dilemma every day. Do I put food on the table or do I help myself or my child that may be sick? Ladies and gentlemen, you can call Obamacare what you want to call it. But I can guarantee you the Supreme Court of the United States of America has validated that Obamacare is law and is legal. So at the end of the day, when you're done talking about these, these politicians, want to get it, well, we're going to repeal. Well, you know what? It's the law of the land. And what are you going to say to the millions of American people and the million of American voters that you expect to vote for you when you go to the poll and say, I don't care whether little Johnny has his medication tonight. If all my daughter has a terminal disease, and you know what? She needs this medical care. What are you going to tell that voter? That's so critical. Cliff? 
know, the thing that really gets you about those who say, well, let's repeal Obamacare or the Affordable Health Care Act, whatever you want to call it, the thing that really gets me is they have no alternative. They say, let's, let's just repeal it to get rid of it. Okay, so if you're going to repeal it, what are you going to put in its place? Sure. It's the same the same question that millions of Americans asked before it got passed. What are you going to do? And, and most of the time, it's, uh, you know, the Republican Party is fighting on the fact we need to get rid of Obamacare. What are you going to do as an alternative? What do you do about the people, like you said, that cannot afford their prescription medication, people who uh, have terminal illnesses, that there is no recourse. What is the alternative? And and even President Obama asked him, well, if you if you say that, no, my plan's not going to work, what do you suggest? Don't just say, well, throw it out the window. What is the alternative? What are you putting on the table that will work for the American people? Well, I think what this speaks to the character of Congressman Conyers. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you have to know, you can't be in Congress that many years, and 50 years, 50-plus years, and not know the... Uh, the conflict or the opposition that you'll face as you are moved to fight with the right reason and the right motive, and that's for the American people. Congressman Conyers does that. Absolutely. And he takes the risk on, and he takes the steps to do it because he sees a bigger picture. Yes. To me, that is the sign, Lisa, of a leader. Absolutely. That is leadership. No wonder he is called the dean of the house. A dean ensures that things are running exactly as they need to run. You are answerable to the dean. And you can say what you want. Congressman Conyers takes on issues that are controversial. But that's okay because he was sent to Congress to fulfill an oath. And that oath was, and you heard the oath at the beginning of this program, do you, do you intend, do you swear to hold up the Constitution of the United States of America? Congressman Conyers is the poster child in Congress of holding up that oath and mean, uh, making sure he uh, adheres to that oath. Your thoughts, William, on that? No, I, 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 what, what makes the issue controversial is the fact that it is a hot topic and no one wants to touch it. You see, that's the thing. When no one wants to touch it and they know that it needs to be addressed, someone's going to have to step, step up. And so here, here he is. I mean, this man, when you look at his history... He comes from Detroit. He come, and no doubt he's seen those that worked hard in those meals, those that did suffer, those that probably did not have adequate health care or other things. He's championing those. See, that's the picture he sees. Right. He sees that that is a smaller set of most of America. That's right. Those that are without the silver spoon, those that are out there hustling, those that are out there working, they're 8 to 5, they're working in meals, they're coming home with, you know, and they're just getting by. The ends are not meeting. Forget the ends meeting. They're getting by. And so for them to have to struggle and deal with health care, you know, the issues, if there was something of their loved one, son, daughter, somebody like that. And now this is an issue on the table, and, and, and big business is making billions, if not trillions of dollars in, in health care or the pharmaceutical industry. Sure. And so, yes, these people need to be reined in. Someone needs to collar them and say, "Listen, you have you have made enough money. Your days of, of you know golden parachutes and stuff like that are over." Well, I, th I think the big picture is William Cliff Lisa is that uh, what Congressman Conyers is doing, he sets precedents on Capitol Hill. Yes. Uh, they're not going to buck him too much. You're going to have the bucking, but guess what? 
50-plus years, he's got some seniority on you, and he's got some rank on you, but his record speaks for itself. Right. Now, that's dealing with the health care issue. Congressman Conyers, uh, a year ago, was talking about action in Ferguson. We all know what happened in Ferguson. The uproar of a nation, everything that happened, the, the senseless stuff that happened down there, he again began to put into motion legislation to say, look, this is not about 1989 or 1995. We have a problem right now. And that's what Congress is there for. That's why you get reelected to another term and term and term and term. You know why? Issues continue to rise. Congressman Conyers had something to say in regards that action needed to be taken as a re- in regards to Ferguson. Let's see what he had to say. Of Michigan, he is a ranking member on the Judiciary Committee and one of the three congressmen who wrote a letter to the chair of that committee asking for a hearing on the use of excessive force, saying the recent events in Ferguson are quote deeply troubling. Congressman, thank you so much for your time. First, let me get your reaction to at least a somewhat of a better night. That's a proper word to use. I think things are, are moving along. I've asked the uh, chairman of the House Judiciary Committee to to uh, consider. Holding hearings, not to not assess to. fault or responsibility, but to understand more deeply uh, the causes that can create other Fergusons around the country. I think we can uh, have a very important and constructive hearing in that regard. When you say causes that create another Ferguson, what are you speaking of specifically? Well, I'm speaking of the uh, the racial tensions that arise uh, between uh, uh, aggressive police action, sometimes militarized, uh, and the citizens of color, uh, which uh, cause these kinds of eruptions, uh, as is in Ferguson. I know that, as pointed out, you are concerned about the militarization of uh, local police departments. It is one of the few um, issues, it seems, that would have bipartisan support if Congress chose to explore this more. You've got Rand Paul and his op-ed speaking out against the militarization of police departments and a number of others who've come out um, recently as well. What is your hope that something something more than words will remedy this problem that you feel exists and, and many others quite honestly at this point and I think a lot of people were quite surprised at the arsenal of, of equipment that's been sent out to rural areas particularly and with individuals who may not even be trained to use some of this equipment that should be reserved for the military. Well, words are important because they lead to uh, reshaping attitudes. And and this is what uh, we're dealing with is the racial aspect of uh, police enforcement, which has sometimes been born by uh, African-American and other minority communities more heavily than in other places. And it's, it's in the spirit of us talking through these problems and probably, uh, hopefully, heading off uh, uh, some other uh, Fergusons that might be uh, on the horizon. Ferguson isn't the only place where this kind of situation obtains, where you have a a majority African-American community and a a literally all-white police and political leadership.
And there you have it, folks. Uh, Congressman Conyers, the dean again of the House, speaking to the issue of Ferguson. What did we just say moments ago, ladies and gentlemen of America? If you're tuned in, listen very carefully. Congressman Conyers is not sitting in the lost ages of, 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 of being a member of Congress. He immediately spoke to the issue. As you said uh, earlier, uh, uh, William, uh, he's not wasting any time. He is addressing the issues of the people. Members of Congress are speaking and they are voted on behalf of the people of the United States of America. That's right. They speak for America. That is why it is so important that they fulfill the oath that they took at the time of going to office. Uh, William, you talked about something that he was working on here recently, even that connects this issue that he talked about uh, in Ferguson. Tell the folks what, you, what that is. Well, I, uh, he actually sponsored a bill here that was introduced uh, 624 of 2015, which is called actually the Law Enforcement Trust and Integrity Act mm-hmm. 2015. And so this, I was reading through here, and it's actually this piece of legislature, legislation excuse me, is, uh, is actually centered around the DOJ being granted, uh, making grants to study law enforcement agencies' management oper- and operation standards to develop pilot, pro- pilot programs to address law enforcement misconduct. So well, he's, he's, he's looking at DOJ now and saying, listen, now you have the responsibility to look at other agencies, and, he, and it's wide open, state, local, and tribal governments, to look out here and say, look at your management operations, look at your management, look at your operational standards, and let's evaluate for any misconduct going on. Wow. You're talking about holding folks accountable for what they do. Absolutely. This is what constitutes change in America. It's not about sitting back talking the talk, as I've said over and over again. It's about members of Congress, communities coming together, Congress coming together, saying, you know what, this is what we need. Cliff, this goes to the point that you've made uh, reference to the president when he said in regards to Obamacare, if you got something else uh, or you have something else, show us then. That's right. Yeah. Now, now uh, Congressman Conyers says, look, so does Ferguson happen like, wait a minute, we got something to put on the table. What does that say to you about the character of Congressman Conyers? It's not about just sitting in an office. It's about, as Lisa said when we went there, this man was in the middle of working and stopped to hear us. That's a man of the people. Exactly, and that's exactly what it takes. I mean, it's not just about, okay, I'm, I'm talking to people from Detroit. Or exactly. I'm, I'm talking to people who might come and say, hey, you know, we're going to get you voted back in. It is about what you can do for the people and the things that pertain to the people. Even when he has to, uh, you know, cross the aisle. There's a lot of members of Congress that says, you know, I, I, if I'm Democrat, I work with Democrats. If I'm Republican, I stay with Republicans. What about common sense initiatives that if you got across the aisle to another person with a com- with common sense that said, that you say, hey, we are about getting some some conclusions, getting some uh, some results. So if you have to cross the aisle, cross the aisle. That is what it takes. And when you look at Congressman Conyers, you look at his record, you look at uh, you know what he did with the men's real reform deal that he and and uh, and 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 Republican. Uh, judiciary Chairman, uh, the House Judiciary Chairman Bob Goodlatte from Virginia, they came together. Now, now Conyers is a, is a Democrat. Uh, Chairman Goodlatte is a Republican. They came together to say we need a reform on men's real. And and for those uh, yeah. out in the audience who may not know what men's real is, it is basically 
it is the intent issue that says if you if you if there was no intent, then there was no crime basically, and that in in white collar crime and blue collar crime, uh, when you have judges like Judge Arguello who came out and said I'm not going to let the intent issue come in with the IRP six. Congressman Conyers said, I'm going to cross the aisle with Goodlatte, and we are going to make a decision that we need reform on this because people are like uh, former, um, you know, the uh, DOJ, what's his name? Eric Holder. Eric Holder. Yeah. Eric he Holder. said that uh, there's too many people in prison for no good law enforcement reason. Men's real, the intent, really brings that into play. And Congressman Conyers said, we have to do something about this. We're going to have reform. And even when he came up with this with Goodlatte, he, when they drafted this, he had people from DOJ that opposed him that said, look, uh, we don't want you to do this because it is going to it's going to impact too many of our convictions. And the spokesperson, Peter Carr from uh, from DOJ, said that in acting a default men's real statute would create confusion. And, and these words will sound real familiar to you guys. <laughs> That it would create confusion and needless litigation and significantly weaken often unintentionally countless federal statutes. But that is the issue. The federal statutes need to be weakened because they make no sense. So Congressman Congress said for all those laws that are getting people put in prison for no particular reason, we need to come together and do that. And that is what it takes to be a congressman that gets something done to say, if I have to cross the aisle, I cross the aisle. But when it makes sense, it just makes sense, and that is what being spotlighted on, uh, you know, on AJC Radio is about. People in Congress who are making decisions that come up with good results and good conclusions, no matter what you have to do. And Congressman Conyers uh, shows and has proven that he's willing to do that, even when it, it means crossing the aisle to get some results. No, absolutely, and that makes perfect sense. Uh, and and William, you had something to say uh, in re- in regards to to that as well. As, as again, Congressman Conyers is all over the place. He's all he's all over the place. The thing the thing I like about about him, he has this theme of accountability. He wants people to be accountable for their actions. So as I was looking through here, I ran across one thing across the, uh, uh, with regards to this Law Enforcement Integrity Act. Yes. He said, law enforcement agencies, this is stated in, in this, law enforcement agencies must report data regarding practices on tra- uh, traffic violation stops, pedestrian stops, risk and body searches, and use of deadly force. Data must include the number of incidences on each practice broken down by race, ethnicity, age, and gender. Of the officer, employees, members, so forth and so on. So he's holding these people accountable. Wow. He's definitely he wants to know if if the if an agency has done this, we need data because see this is how you trend. This is how you show profiling. This is how you show when someone has gone off the grid. And they, and in the case of Michael Brown, where where he mentioned this is like this is a white um, white. You know, agency or law enforcement department, and and so here is this profiling going on of this man of this neighborhood. They've had incidences of it. This is not the first occurrence. This is how you track that. This is how you track misconduct. Well, well look, look, folks. Uh, if you're a little overwhelmed, perhaps uh, you're at a loss of words uh, when you talk about when you talk about someone that uh, is making a difference on that level. What else can you say other than the fact you've got to give them respect? 
Congressman Conyers and Lisa, as we said earlier, uh, this is no nonsense with this man. That's right. He is not sitting again. This is about the American people. Cliff, to your point that it's not about when he treated us as if we were family. Yes, he did. He told his his his, his uh, 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 communication director, bring them to the House floor. Yeah. Bring us to the Capitol. Bring us there. Wow. We were sitting in his office. And Let's, he said, I don't want them to have to wait. I don't know how long I'm going to be. I don't want them to have to wait. Folks, and, and I'll tell you right now, my last name is not Conyers. Uh, and Lisa's last name is not Conyers. But guess what? It's about family. How many times do we say this on this program? The American people... The Constitution of the United States doesn't start with my district. It doesn't start with the people of California. We, the people of the United States of America. If that doesn't give you chills, folks, here on Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday, I'm not sure what will. But I'll tell you right now, Congressman Conyers, over and over again, Cliff alluded to it, William, you alluded to it, is all over the place. You would think he was a junior senator or a congressman that just got there and is, is just coming out the gate running. Ladies and gentlemen of America, 50-plus years has Congressman Conyers been in that seat. He hasn't got tired yet. No, he's been at war for 50 years. Let me tell you that right now. And, I, folks, I'll tell you this. This is what we're talking about, the reform of America. We're bringing America back to greatness, bringing America back to what's necessary. He spoke to one issue that was very important. He said not only do we, in the interview, Lisa, with us, he said not only are we dealing with criminal justice reform, we have to address communities, poverty, drug trafficking, all of these things in our communities that contribute to our prison system, that contribute to mistrust in our community with, our, with, the, with the African Americans, the Latinos. You know, every, this is what, is, the, is what contributes to the problem. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know about you. It feels like the 4th of July here at AJC Radio, and this is all American. This is about making a difference. This is about, you know what, why is Congressman Conyers on the forefront tonight on AJC Radio? Because this is spotlight on Capitol Hill. I'll tell you right now, we got a little bit more to share about the congressman, the dean of the house. Folks, hang on to your seats. Buckle your seatbelts in. We're getting ready to take off again as we continue to climb the ascension of addressing and honoring Congressman John Conyers, the Dean of the House, making an impact all over the place. We'll be right back. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? innocent? The United the States United is experiencing States record numbers record of exonerations in cases, cases where people were wrongfully were wrong convicted of crimes they did crime not commit. Not. If you believe if you that no one should no be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something there is that you can do today. By remembering, By remembering a just cause with a monthly, monthly annual, annual, or one-time or one donation, day. you can help you can in the fight against fight wrongful convictions. convictions. Call a Call just cause just at 855-529-4252. Or visit, or visit a cause.com and click the and donate, click donate button. Adjust cause Adjust is a 501 Wrongful wrong convictions, convictions are wrong. Let's be the Let's voice of those who those can't, speak can't speak from behind from the wall. Are you becoming a 
Well, ladies and gentlemen, you may think that the nation is at a point of not, of not recovering, and you may say the mission ahead of America and the members of Congress may be impossible. Well, we got news for you. The dean of the house on Capitol Hill, Congressman John Conyers, is uh, making that statement just absolutely not true, and he's on a mission, but I guarantee you right now it's not impossible as he continues to make strides here in America to bring about change across the land. And, folks, welcome back. I'm Lamont Banks along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, and William Williams as we address and honor the dean of the House, Congressman John Conyers. And, William, I'm telling you, I'm pumped up right now as a result of this show and hearing Congressman Conyers speak to the issues that matter. These are things that make a difference across the country. So, uh, your thoughts is we have not even scratched the surface well, I think, of 50-plus years in Congress. Well, I think that's the reason for this show. I mean, we people like this, these that are out here, leaders that have been elected, that are out here that are driving for a difference, driving for change, this is the reason for this show. Because I guarantee you there's a bunch that are sitting there in Congress that are doing nothing. So when you got somebody like this that's championing causes and has done it for 50 years, and it doesn't look like he's going to going to stop that's 
the measuring stick. All the other ones should look up. And you know what's good about uh, Congressman Conyers? You know, as, as we're doing some review, uh, the President of the United States has an uphill battle when he gets in office. Uh, he's, the, he's there. He's trying to get things done. Many times, Congress is in a position of not doing what they need to do. That's just the bottom line. You're blocking them, and it, it, it crosses, you know, it's partisan issues. Right. Um, Congressman Conyers defended the president, uh, and you know what happened with the immigration issue that was going on in this country. We know there's an issue. Uh, people attack what he – and he even the president even went as far as to take executive action. Uh, I believe it was the Dream, the Dream Act uh, in, 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 in bringing Latinos and people that were in this country and saying, look, if you were here, we want to give you an opportunity, not just throwing them out and saying you're on your own. Uh, Congressman Conyers had a little something to say about the immigration situation regarding the president. Let's hear what he had to say. The title of today's hearing is The Unconstitutionality of Obama's Executive Action on Immigration. Not President Obama's Executive Action, but Obama's Executive Action. Since when are we such familiar names with the Commander-in-Chief? Uh, I cannot recall a previous administration during which members of Congress from either side of the aisle showed such a persistent disrespect for the office of the president. The title of this hearing is also interesting because it is a statement, not a question. It just presumes that the administration's actions are unconstitutional. Even though Even no court has court found, found the act unconstitutional, there's no, there's no, there is strong, strong legal authority and historical, and historical precedent supporting, supporting these policy decisions. decisions. So in closing, our current, our current immigration system is not working for American, American families, businesses, business, or the or economy. These problems... These Require, require real, real legislative, legislative solutions, and so I so urge our colleagues, colleagues, my colleagues on this committee, to start, start doing, doing the job that we were sent here to do. Well, there you have it, folks. Uh, Congressman Conyers. What an honor and a privilege tonight, William, Cliff, Lisa, to speak to the the man, Congressman Conyers. You know, people have a perception of members of Congress. They have a perception of what's going on. We are learning so much, Lisa, uh, into Spotlight on Capitol Hill of the look at the man, the woman who occupy those seats. This is this is awesome to me. It really is, Lamont. It really is. I mean, you're learning about who they are. You're just finding out who these people really, really are. And you don't see that. You're not going to see that on the news. You're not going to see that on uh, on any on any other show that you may see them on. Any any talk show you hear them speaking on. Any interview they may be speaking in. You're not going to see who they really are. And I think it's just been an honor and a privilege for us to be able to see the other side of these people and learn actually who they really are. 
And I'll tell you this is whatever length of time Congressman Conyers has left in Congress as he chooses his decisions uh, to continue uh, or whatever his decision is, we applaud you, Congressman Conyers, for the work, for the service to a nation that needs leadership like this. It is, this is what is so very, very important. And I can't say enough, man. I, I, I sit here tonight, uh, William, I, I'm, at, I'm just overwhelmed with the impact of one man. People say all the time, only one person can't get the job done. But I can tell you right now, members of Congress individually and collectively are striving to make that change happen. The American people need to know this. When you get ready to vote, this is an election year. Many seats in Congress are going to be up. Who you vote for makes a difference. I hope that all, American, all the American people take this seriously. That this is about not only today, but about our tomorrow. And about our children and our children's children. This is what this is about. It's time that we get serious about this. And when you begin to unravel and, un- and take the paper back and all the gloss of Congress, you find dedicated men and women that are giving their lives for this purpose. Congressman Conyers, we thank you. We honor you tonight, and we appreciate the opportunity to honor such a, a great individual and a great man who's doing things to touch the lives of the American people. And uh, we thank you tonight. Lisa, it sounds like, you know, we just don't have enough time in a day to give honor. No, you don't. There's really not. Um, there's not enough time. Um, so I'll tell you what. You need a few shows, Lamont. We may have to come back with another one because, you know what, it, it sounds like to me uh, he's not he's not stopping. No, he's not. We'll, we'll visit it again. Folks, newsflash, Congressman Conyers is doing it again. Yeah, uh, and we don't have a problem with that. So we're appreciative of that, folks. Uh, thank you uh, again, Congressman Conyers, for your time taking with uh, AJC uh, in Washington, D.C., on location uh, a month ago, Lisa, I believe it was, a little over a month ago. Yes. Uh, we appreciate the time and uh, wish you the very best and continued success. We continue uh, to uh, keep you in our thoughts and our prayers for what lies ahead of a nation, and uh, we're happy about that. Uh, coming up, uh, we want to get into the IRP-6. Now, ladies and gentlemen, when you hear that music, we begin to discuss the perpetrators of justice. But we also talk about one very important thing, and that is what you didn't know about the IRP-6 case. Hang on to your seats, folks. Injustice is running rampant in our streets. Lady Justice has gone missing, and we fight for the IRP-6 men, innocent men, wrongfully convicted, and were dealt a huge miscarriage of justice. You say, is that possible in America? What you're going to hear tonight in a few moments as we get into that segment. Six men born with a dream to keep America safe. Their dream shattered by a system that failed. Who are the IRP-6? What are their names? Are they, are they fiction or are they real? I guarantee tonight they're real. Their names are David Banks, Gary Walker, Clinton Stewart, Dave Zerpolo, Demetrius Harper, and Kendrick Barnes. We come back after this break to ask you one question or to make a statement to you. This is what you didn't know about the RP6. Folks, hang on to your seat. Let's get ready to get real up in here at AJC Radio. And bye. We'll be right back.
people are sitting in the prisons of America for nonviolent offense. Offense. That's why That's I'm asking you to join the American Circle of Liberties Union and help and us help in the fight of mass incarceration. We spend we over eight billion, billion dollars a year, year in cost and cost people or turn into prison. Like community like consumers, drug treatment, and rehabilitation. Cost cost less, less and can turn and lives can around. around. It's time, it's time to fear justice. It's time, it's time to smart justice. And we need your help. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. And uh, this has been a night, folks, uh, honoring Congressman Conyers. We go to the next segment of this program. And to what you didn't know about the RP6 case. And, folks, something that's highly unusual in any criminal proceedings is that the transcript of record is not available. In every case, in every court, there is an opportunity to go to transcripts of a case to look at proceedings, what happened. But here's the real important part of this point. The appellate court uses the transcript to rule and judge on error of law so they can dissect, if you will, proceedings, statements made, uh, the constitutional rights of a defendant being violated. All of these things are involved with the importance of a transcript. What you didn't know about the RP6 case is that there were over 200 pages of transcript missing in this case. But not only that, where the judge violated the right, and I believe it's the Fifth Amendment, uh, the Sixth Amendment right, excuse me, uh, trying to compel a defendant to testify. It's part of that missing transcript. How is that possible? How does that happen? I can tell you. It is a calculated, premeditation, premeditated act of a judge, a prosecutor, and a clerk who chose to break the law. And the thing that, you know, we've heard time and time again by so many judicial professionals, retired judges, uh, retired prosecutors, uh, that have said, you know, with without the availability of a transcript, how do you recreate what happened in the courtroom? How does the appellate court do anything except, say, either throw the case out or retry it? Uh, retired federal judge H. Lee Sarakin in his article in, in the uh, Huffington Post that there are only two things that that uh, two choices that the appellate court have. They either throw it out, or they come back and say you must retry the case because the the defendants are saying one thing, the judge is saying another. The only the truth is the transcript, and without that, how do you come to a conclusion? Yeah. That is what 
is so sickening about what the appellate court came back with. Because how did you make a decision that the the uh, conviction should be upheld when there's no transcript of what the defendants say happened to them in court? And basically, just like in baseball, tie goes to the runner. If there is no transcript, you have to take the word for the defendant because they have to be proven guilty. Well, So you have to take the word of the defendant if they are contradicting what the judge says and there is no record of it uh, from the court. It, well, it's absolutely ludicrous. No, it's ludicrous. William, your thoughts on that? I, well, I mean, ludicrous is just one, but there's, there's many. I mean, the, the bottom line is the transcript is missing. Part of the transcript is missing. And so the whole point is, if you cannot, if you cannot find this, if it's not there, this is public record. And if it's missing, then why? So, so like you said, th- this had to do with the court reporter. This had to do with the judge. This had to do with the prosecutor. Because all this stuff just mysteriously just disappears. There's a big hole in the transcript that shows the violation of the Fifth Amendment rights by, by, by one of the defendants. So what do you do? I mean, like, like uh, Cliff said. So what do you do? How do you, how can you up, uphold the conviction from the appellate court and say, in good conscience, that this is great? I mean, this is fine. Everything's all well and good. It's not. It's not. It, there's this huge hole here, and no one is saying, you know, uh, no one's being held accountable. No one's come forth. It's just, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. It's just, it's the stupidest thing to me. Because you can see it, everybody can see it, but no one has any response to it. Well, the problem you have with that is, and it's very clear, uh, it's, it's, it's outside of protocol. If you know anything about the appellate process, that you cannot, let alone one page of the proceedings missing, justifies a overturn of conviction and a remand for a new trial if there's a possibility that something is missing if there is a possibility something has gone wrong there's information where where the judges cannot rule if there's a possibility in any way shape form or fashion it is an automatic overturn of conviction remand for new trial that's automatic the problem here is that that has failed here because it is a calculated move absolutely see if there's nothing to hide You don't get different stories, ladies and gentlemen of America. You don't get different stories of why the transcript is available. It's not available. This happened. That that tells you right there. There is a problem. When you have different stories to an issue to that level. And then then causes. The causes. Absolutely. You know, they even go about talking about, well, the reason why. Well, if you come up with an excuse, that's in itself an acknowledgement that it's missing. If you, exactly. if you, I mean, you know what I'm saying? So, oh, okay, the court reporter didn't have her headset on. court reporter said she doesn't wear a headset. You know, all this stuff that's going on that, that's all trying to cover this up. And, and, and if I would – I mean, as you were talking, if the appellate judge is sitting there reading this transcript and reads this hole, how can he avoid it? He or she avoid this? How can they avoid this hole in the transcript that they're reading? It's like missing a chapter out of a book, right? You don't know what happens during that time, but now all of a sudden you just expect to pick up the pieces as if nothing happened and let me finish this book. And so this is the things that are that are just well, – I mean, uh, But the thing is, even if you have a portion of a transcript during a case that doesn't really 
have that much bearing on the case. Mm-hmm. That is still that is still a reason to retry the case or throw it out. It's like, okay, you don't have the transcript. So whatever the defendant said happened here or there, even in a in a in a minimal fashion, then it has to it has to go back to the court. You're talking about something as egregious as you violated my uh my Sixth Amendment right and forced me or my Fifth Amendment right and forced me to testify. You told me that if I didn't testify, you would rest my case for me, for me, and that you said. And Judge Arguello says there is something that I said that's not on the record. The fact that she made that statement is not on the record. You said something. The defendant said you say one thing, you say another. That case should have been thrown out at the very least, retried. Absolutely. And that is the problem with the appellate court: is how did they not come to that conclusion? How did they step over that? And not even address the fact that that portion of the transcript. Well, the example, the answer is very simple, Cliff. The corruption goes as high as the appellate court. Uh, it is what it is. The appellate court failed to do their job, ladies and gentlemen. When we talk about the system has failed. It's not just one part of the system. It is the entire uh, system, system has failed. The appellate court is supposed to be there to ensure justice. We have found that justice is not ensured even by the oversight who is to oversee the actions of the lower court. This is where we have a problem. Two, over 200 pages of transcripts. Folks, this is what you didn't know. Two, over 200 pages of transcripts missing in a criminal proceeding. And the appellate court, who should have said immediately, Cliff, to your point, as Judge Sarakin pointed out, there's only two options. Throw out the conviction or remand for new trial. That's right. Either way, this existing trial is tainted. It is tainted now. Once a trial becomes tainted, justice will never be found. It cannot be found. That is the purpose of the appellate court. Where did the trial and the justice and due process and the fairness, where did that go out the window? Not only was it the missing transcripts, over and over again, instances, situations, where laws were broken, violations were done, due process was violated. All of these things happened, not once, over and over again. And how does the Tenth Circuit sit on that bench and make a statement, we affirm, meaning we agree, we find no fault. That is insanity. Absolutely. And it has to be addressed in this country. We plead to the members of Congress, to the Department of Justice, all of these entities, if you will, that ensure and say they are about justice. The judiciary members of Congress, we call for justice for the IRP-6. We call for justice for David Banks, Gary Walker, Clinton Stewart, Dave Zappolo, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes. For one reason, justice has failed. Due process has failed. We need answers. It's not about, well, let's look into. We need answers. Investigations go nowhere. We want something done for the actions of this judge. Lisa, there are some people involved. The perpetrators of justice. Somebody is responsible for the wrongful conviction of these men who robbed their, their lives and their families and have done the things that they have done to bring cruelty and pain have stolen their lives. They they are they are guilty of robbery. That's it. I mean, they stole their lives. These men have been sitting innocent. 
Lisa, the perpetrators of justice, we know them by name. Yes, who are they? We have U.S. Attorney John Walsh. We have Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch. Assistant U.S. Attorney Sunita Hazra. Attorney Greg Goldberg. Federal Judge Christine Arguello. Appellate Judge Jerome Holmes. Appellate Judge Bobby Baldock. Appellate Judge Harris Hart. Judge uh, Brooke R. Brooks Jackson. Judge uh, Judge Schaefer. Court reporter Darlene Martinez. Federal Agent John Smith. FBI former FBI agent Robert Moen. Former FBI agent John Epstein. Former FBI agent Gary Hilberry. Attorney Thomas Goodread. Attorney Clifford Barnard. Attorney Thomas Richard. Attorney Robert Berger. Attorney Mitchell Baker. Attorney Boston Staten Jr. Attorney Rick Kornfeld. Attorney Mark Garrigo. Susan Holland of ETI Professionals. And Samuel K. Thurman. All right, and thank you for that, Lisa. These are the perpetrators of justice, folks. Uh, we continue to seek justice for these men. And uh, we will not stop. We will not rest until it's done. Uh, this is AJC Radio bringing the message of justice around the world. And, uh, folks, you don't want to miss any programs. They're going to get hotter and hotter on this show as we continue. We are thankful again tonight for Congressman Conyers uh, giving us an opportunity to uh, interview him for Spotlight on Capitol Hill. It was a great one tonight. We appreciate all that he's doing, and we continue to uh, wish him the best in his success on Capitol Hill. Cliff? I want to say thank you to everyone who called into the show, everyone in the chat room. We appreciate all of your comments and questions. Also, want to say thank you to our production team, K&D Productions, Captain Kyle and Dustin Jackson, helping out Ill Skillers Girl in the control room to make sure you hear what it is that we have to say. Also, to our production support crew, they give us accurate and up-to-date information so that we can pass that on to you. And to the truth, we know you're out there. We appreciate it. And folks, definitely go to AJCRadio.com if you're interested in seeing all the archives of tonight's show, uh, as well as all the shows we've done here on AJC, AJC Radio. Feel free to tune in. Uh, we also are part of the PRN Radio Network Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Feel free to tune in there. Also, 4.5 Radio, 4.5 Media On Demand. Uh, folks, I'll tell you right now, uh, Spotlight on Capitol Hill is going to get better. we got some, some very, very influential people on Capitol Hill. As we've talked about Congressman Conyers tonight. Uh, we have learned a lot uh, in regards to uh, Congress, to what needs to be done. Folks, it's an election year, 2016. A lot of changes coming to America. We want to ensure that those changes are the right ones. Please get out to vote. I know it's January, but before you know it, you'll be uh, eating turkey and cranberry sauce and all that good stuff. And guess what? The vote would have passed. So time is moving. Time has wings on it, folks. We want to make sure we're doing the absolute best thing uh, in getting out the vote. Young people, get out there and vote. As, as Congressman Collins alluded to tonight, uh, at the age of 18, uh, you should be concerned about your future, your children's future. Folks, this is what voting is about. This is what the American democracy is supposed to be about. We need to be a part of it. We can sit back and talk uh, and say what, what changes need to happen, what changes need to take place. But unless we come together and begin to work with our elected officials uh, to make some things happen, uh, folks, change will not come. So uh, we are appreciative tonight uh, of, again, uh, Spotlight on Capitol Hill. Uh, join us every Tuesday and Thursday here at 8 p.m. Eastern on AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice. I'm Lamont Banks for Cliff Stewart, Lisa Stewart, William Williams, and the entire AJC Radio team. We say goodnight and take care as we continue to search for justice. We'll see you next time.
solemnly swear that you will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that you will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that you would take this obligation freely, without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, and that you will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office on which you are about to enter, so help you God. Congratulations. You're now members of the 114th Congress. Freddie Gray just won in a string of recent cases highlighting racial tensions and police violence. In just a few hours, Democratic congressman and ranking minority member House Judiciary Committee John Conyers will introduce legislation aimed at ending racial profiling. He joins me now. Congressman, thank you for joining me, sir. What a pleasure. Thanks so much. A pleasure for me, too. Could you explain what's in your legislation? Uh, well, what we're trying to do here is, for the first time, federally criminalize racial profiling. Uh, and we mandate retraining of officers, and we begin data collection on this subject of racial profiling uh, by police in the, uh, for the first time. And then uh, we collect data and we give uh, grants for good police practices. That's essentially what the bill's about. Do, do you think what happened in Baltimore, sir, was the result of racial profiling? Uh, I suspect that it probably was. And uh, I ask you that I ask you that difficult question because the neighborhood was largely African American. It has a crime problem, and some people say, "Isn't it possible, even if Mr. Gray were white, that this could have happened?" Yeah, uh, and you know we're getting back to the 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 message: all lives matter. And what has happened in uh, predominantly predominantly African American communities is that. Uh, uh, Police practices and racial profiling has become uh, a thing that's been going on for decades now. And so uh, I started introducing uh, a bill to prevent racial profiling back in 2001 and have been introducing it in the Congress ever since. Now, with these eight lives uh, that have been uh, taken, uh, we, we've got a, a new a look at it, a new approach, a new attorney general, and so uh, things are moving uh, far more rapidly than in the past. Well, well, let me ask you. Let me ask you the question this way: um, the Justice Department, you know, it investigated several of these cases, right? And it ruled out civil rights violations in two controversial cases. Um, for example, in February of 2015, the Justice Department said it would not file civil rights charges against George Zimmerman in the Trayvon Martin case. In the Michael Brown case, federal authorities declined to prosecute Officer Darren Wilson. Would your bill do anything to make it easier for the Justice Department to file civil rights charges in such cases? Well, I, I think that uh, by making this a federal crime, it changes it. Uh, the, the approach uh, quite a bit. Uh, 